0: For the past eight years, RDL Construction LLC has been servicing the New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Maryland markets, specializing in the installation of exterior and interior metal framing, drywall, acoustical ceilings, doors, and hardware, along with bathroom accessories and FRP. Check them out. Their website is RDL Construction LLC. Dot com. Today's guest is another entrepreneur at heart who left the corporate world in 2016 to bet on himself. He has 20 plus years in the healthcare industry. And it came to a point where he said, it's time to start a new chapter. He is the founder and president of Death of the Fox Brewing Company, New Jersey's first and only brewery and coffee house. Roastery. Let me introduce him, Chuck Garrity. Welcome to the show, man. Hey there, how you doing? Good. I was looking forward to this. So was I. I'm glad you can uh, you can be on. And oddly enough, it's Cinco de Mayo, so I'm, I'm sure you're going to be busy here. You're uh, get coffee right now,
1: but <laughs> ten minutes of <a> beer.
0: <laughs> Good stuff. I met Chuck when my wife and I opened Rough House Indoor Dog Park, which. I became a frequent and curious customer to taste what Chuck was going to make next. And uh, you always have something interesting to uh, to taste, that's for sure. So you started in, in the healthcare industry with 20 plus years experience. Your education is at the College of New Jersey and Ryder with a BA in political science. And then you got your MBA in, at Widener University in health and medical services administration. So you you were basically a consultant, correct?
1: In the uh, health I was a management consultant for probably almost well, let's see, about fifteen years, got and you. then otherwise I worked in management positions and health organizations like Drexel, uh, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So I worked for those organizations, mm-hmm. and then basically, you know, once I got into the consulting world, I took that experience and applied that across dozens of of health organizations all over the country
0: got it and i see some of the companies that you you work for children's hospital of philadelphia beacons partners Drexel university college of medicine arcadia solutions price waterhouse coopers so you uh you've been around in the medical field that's for sure
1: yeah yeah it it was definitely you know i spent a lot of time when the plane Yeah. uh, yeah you know i was uh, VP or manager of a large region at one point for Arcadia, Eastern States. So, you know, half of the country when I was at KPMG Beacon. So, you know, I went through, it's interesting. I went through um, a bit of uh, mergers and acquisitions. So the company I was with, Beacon Partners, I spent probably the majority of my career there, you know, 12 years. And uh, we got bought up by uh, KPMG. So you just kind of going through that whole trajectory of working for a small company and then to the point where you are that company is it's private, you know, purchased by a larger company, and just that whole experience was really interesting. And then Arcadia was more of a, a startup, I would guess say venture capital okay, uh, okay. Kind of situation. And that that too was really interesting working for, especially in a in a business development and sales capacity mm-hmm. for a very aggressive venture backed company
0: got it and then it appears you became an independent contractor then in the healthcare and at that point in time was that when you were thinking on on making a move
1: yeah well actually so i was i was thinking about that probably from the point where i would say that that 2011 2012 really when the, the brewery laws changed in new jersey uh, around 2012 chris christie passed a, a law that was supported by the legislature that allowed breweries to start up with, it used to be almost impossible to start a brewery in the state of New Jersey. I've always had an entrepreneurial streak in me coming from my parents. Both of them own uh, their own business. My sister started one of the largest triathlon clubs in the country. So we all kind of, I don't know. It was just, and Mm-hmm. After working especially for KPMG and then Price Waterhouse, the whole corporate world, I, I just started getting really burnt out. I got burned out by the travel. It was exhausting. Balancing that with my family. And then, you know, looking at especially at you know the very largest management consulting firms and, and big four. <laughs> you ever see the movie The Firm? It was almost like that. Like you yes. have to yes. married to the corporation. You know, you work your ass off for years to become a partner. And then once you become a partner, I worked with a lot of partners and I noticed not many of them were happy. (laughs) (laughs) You're a partner,
0: then what, right?
1: (laughs) You know, and listen, you're making a lot of money, doing very well. But, you know, again, you're married to that company, you're spending 60, 70 hours on average, you know, taking your job home with you, nights, weekends, all of that stuff. Which, again, you know, I, I did, you know, because of my travel and stuff like that. But I started looking beyond just, okay, you know, I reached a certain point And I was like, do I want to do this? And do I want to be one of these guys? Mm-hmm. Not saying it's a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing if, if that's what you're into. But, again, that independent streak that I had really started percolating. Because, uh, you know, I became a home brewer back in 2006, Two thousand seven is when I really got into home brewing, and I saw an opportunity in the state of New Jersey that I could actually open up my own brewery, and I had a unique spin on it, and that I saw nobody else was doing. And really, it was like I had the conversation with myself and my wife, and obviously my family, mm-hmm. um, to say, you know, is this something that I want to do now? Or am I just going to be thinking about, you know, 15, 20 years from now, eventually when I retire, wouldn't that be great? Well, I got to the point where I was like, I'm not happy in the corporate world, very, you know, and I'm willing to take a risk, Mm -hmm. do something and to not wait until I'm much older and may not have the energy and the focus that I had today. So that was really what was behind the decision. And it was, it was a big risk. No doubt about it. And it did have its cost.
0: Yeah. And, and you answered my question. You started actually home brewing. you said, 2002, 2003. I, w- I was going to ask you, when did you become passionate about making beer? And it, it sounds like that about that time.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny, like back in college in the 90s, you know, we experimented with homebrewing. And to be honest with you, we had no idea what we were doing. And the beer was like terrible and hazy and clumpy and, you know, just but we were like just thrilled that we made beer, you know, <laughs> like you can do that. You can beer on your stove. You know. mm-hmm. uh, but it, by no means do I understand the science behind it or the process or, you know. But when I moved to this area, I lived in Burlington County and Medford for a long time. Then I, I moved down to this area and, you know, a newer development. We were one of the first houses in, and one of my neighbors was mm-hmm. selling his brewing system he's a passionate beer guy i've always really you know been into good beer you know mm-hmm. he, i remember like just getting a paycheck in college and spending it all on a case of beer <laughs> you know, and at that point there wasn't much available maybe pete's wicked ale or sam adams in terms yep. of like beer aside from like milwaukee's best you know <laughs> uh, but i couldn't believe it like so i started talking to this my new neighbor and he had like six beers on tap in his garage, which he made himself. Mm-hmm. And it was better than any beer that I could buy in the in the store. I couldn't Very cool. think how good mm-hmm. homebrew beer could be. And the, but then I, I realized that you know he'd been studying this for years and he's you know read do, you know a dozen books and and had all of these you know had these expertise and became like a beer national mm-hmm. beer judge. So he he judged other homebrew and and competitions and things like that so he was selling his system he was upgrading to a system and so i bought his system because i had such an interest in it Mm -hmm. and when i say a system it was really rudimentary i mean it was a couple thermoses a brew kettle you know (laughs) but the coolest thing is through that process i learned directly from him i like to say that he was my brewing yoda got it and it's the best way. It's like a trade, you know. It's the best way to learn something. It's not through a book necessarily, not through a course. It's mm-hmm. by working side by side with somebody else who's an expert. And I had the blessing, really, mm-hmm. to be able to do that for a couple of years with Jim. And he taught me the in and outs. You best know? way and to learn. The yeah, man. Classes were not great. <laughs> you know, they were right. Nice. But by the time, you know, I would I would call him. He was my lifeline. If I, you know, because. There's always something crazy happens when you first start brewing, you know? Yeah. Um, How do you gauge ABV?
0: How do you gauge the, the liquor, the, the amount of alcohol content?
1: Very simple. So you have something called a hydrometer, and the uh-huh. hydrometer measures the amount of sugar. Uh, that's basically yep. after you – what you're doing when you're brewing is creating sugar water, <laughs> basically. When I say sugar, but it's barley, malt, and mm-hmm. maybe some other adjuncts. But you're creating a very, like, sugary water – you're adding yeast and the yeast consumes that sugar. And what you're doing is you're taking the gravity of that soluble before, right after it's brewed. So it has a certain amount of sugar in it, which you put a hydrometer in. If you remember from your chemistry classes, you drop that hydrometer in, it mm-hmm. tells you how much sugar is in that soluble. Well, then the yeast does, you add the yeast, it does its job. Yeast does two things. It consumes a lot of that sugar it creates two things, CO2, which escapes from that vessel, and alcohol, which mm-hmm. stays in. So that alcohol is essentially created through that process of fermentation. And then after that fermentation is done, you measure it again. And the difference between those two is your ABV. Thank you for sharing that. I was always curious. Yeah. Yeah. And how accurate you can gauge that. Very accurate. It's yeah, actually accurate. very accurate. Yeah, our, our brews. Are, the, but the, the challenge is making sure it's consistent. All right. Yes, so, one yes. of the things I will tell your viewers, if anybody's a home brewer, you know, it's, when you become a home brewer, you're so excited. You're making beer and you're, you know, you're used to, you want to try all these different styles and things like that. And what Jim told me was make the same beer five times. All right. Mm-hmm. And make that beer consistent across batches, So meaning that, you know, you're controlling all those variables and making sure that, you know, anybody can make a good beer one time. It takes a really mm-hmm. good brewer to make that same beer repeatable. That's why like a lot of people go, they go to small breweries mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh wow, this beer didn't taste anything like it did. Like the last one. I, yes. time I was here. You know, no, that yeah. type of thing yeah. because yeah. maybe they're processed, maybe they, you know, maybe they're doing things a little differently. Maybe they're not, maybe the the beer is being fermented at the same temperature. You know, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of variables that can go into it. But yeah, it's something that consistency in this industry is everything. Yeah. But like every industry.
0: Sure. Yeah, man. Definitely. And and, then I got to tell you, every time I have my Cinnamon Toast Crunch, it is consistent. My favorite beer there. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about your very innovative branding, you know, embracing the local Revolutionary War history of the region and where that idea came from?
1: Yeah. So it was funny. Like once I decided we moved to the area, as I said, you know, in the mid 2000s. And I and one of the things I loved about this area is it was just it was a lot of old historic houses. And, you know, the uh, and I'm just a history buff. I love I just, I love American history, mm-hmm. Revolutionary War, Civil War. I love world history, World War One, World War Two. I mean, I, I just finished a book, you know, on the, just talking about the year 1941 and how basically, you know, Germany lost the war in that year, even though it was just, uh, the war was just beginning, but they made yeah. critical decisions that cost them, uh, you know, long term. So I'm really, I was, I mean, I almost was a history major. Uh, it okay. was political yeah. science or history. So I really love history, and when we moved down here, shortly after I was, we were driving down Kings Highway, and I just saw a sign for the Death of the Fox right off Kings Highway, which was a tavern that was almost three hundred years old. It was they used to go on fox hunts. This was the first organized hunting club, not just fox hunting, but organized hunting club in you know American history. Wow! It was right here. So it was the Gloucester Fox Hunting Club. Was founded in 1760, and they would meet at Death of the Fox Tavern after the hunt. There were four founding fathers who were part of this club that were signers of the Declaration of Independence. It's got incredible history. Basically, you know, all of those uh, Philadelphia, you know, mm-hmm. the founding fathers would come down to this area and engage in fox hunting, which, of course, is a very traditional British sport. So. The death of the fox was the, that's why it was called the death of the fox. It's still standing today. It's a beautiful, let's say a national historic landmark. It's Mm -hmm. a private residence now, but more than anything, it was like, I love that history, but I love the name. Yes, it it is very cool. And so is that history. Oh yeah. We have some sensitive people and they're like, what do you have against foxes? And I'm like, <laughs> I love foxes. If you look around, we're you know, it's all like we're celebrating foxes, but we're also celebrating the history. Yeah. And in fox hunts, right now, they actually they don't kill the fox anymore. At least in you know we've been on a few fox hunts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know I love that concept of that and bringing that into the brand. Well, I I wanted it to be anchored in the history of this area mm-hmm. and something that was relevant because I believe in starting the business. I wanted it to be nestled in the community and have an attachment to that community. Got it. And of course, you know, the history geek of myself, it's like I wanted it to mean something mm-hmm. versus just like, you know, Hazy Hops Beer. You know, yeah. Like company or something yeah. like that. You know what I mean? Like something that was nestled the, the real history. That you tie it to, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, good stuff. And then uh, the interesting thing was working on the logos and everything like that, I engaged Westchester University art department. And I, through a mutual friend, I found an assistant professor at Westchester Mm -hmm. University who also worked on yards branding. So the yards brawler, um, Mm -hmm. yards, all their, you know, their Philly Pale Ale and all their traditional branding. He basically, you know, did all of that. But he was also a, he wasn't necessarily, it was kind of like a side project for him. Mm And I was introduced to him. And the cool thing is that he engaged his class as almost like a semester project to develop the branding of of our company. And I will tell you that it was a process. Like It was so important, that logo, the Running Fox logo. And there was just so many iterations of that. And my point to him always was simplify, simplify. Make it something that was not too intricate, I don't want to see a hop. I don't want to see the hop. You know, every brewery, every brewery has a hop in its logo. (laughs) And I want something that at first I I didn't want to see a fox. I wanted something that was like out of the box. And there was a lot of iterations. I mean, it took five months in order to develop that. And I mean, a lot of back and forth. And I had to say no a lot. And I would say with business owners, you have to say no. A lot. (laughs) Yes. You know, to get what you, because it's your brand and it's really important, especially in this industry. And then I I came up with it when we finally, I know what to tell him, it was like, I want something that you can make a tattoo. You know, I want something simple enough where if I had, you know, I want to see like a really solid tattoo, Uh, um, what would I do? And then that's where we came up with our. I have a shirt. It's, I love it. But branding is, yeah. And it's something, again, where, you know, you, you apply that brand in almost everything you do. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, all of our cups, all of our, uh, you know, just it's that logo. I wanted it to be instantly recognizable like a Nike squish. So you just see the shape and you know that it's death of the fox. Yep. Versus, again, you know, a picture of a hop, or whatever it is, or very text-based. I didn't want it to be text-based. I wanted it to be an image.
0: Brand is everything, in my opinion. Everything. Well, you touched on a little bit before, and if you could just share a little bit more on the political and regulatory challenges that you experienced in this process of creating what you have today.
1: Yeah. So in the last few years in the healthcare industry, there was a lot of government, I want to say intervention. I'm not going to get political. Yeah. Especially as it relates to the company. But I will say that one of my frustrations was that healthcare was becoming so regulated and mm-hmm. it so much. Str- and I was like, you know, yeah, at one point I wanted to get in government, but I decided to get into this industry and it's feeling a lot like government now. <laughs> so that's one of the things where ultimately why I mm-hmm. to take this path. And ironically, I would say that there's even more regulations and that I had to deal with even than I did with healthcare. I'm not complaining because it just is what it is. But it's the, industry, the industry, alcohol industry, yeah. industry, especially in the state of New Jersey, yeah. is higher yeah. um We had a, you know, a great opportunity to open with our particular license, which is called a limited brewery license. Okay? Mm-hmm. It was established in 2012, 2013, and mm-hmm. allows, before, you know, before this law, it was almost impossible to open up a brewery in the state of New Jersey. There were just a handful. There were brew pubs. But actually, you know, there was Flying Fish and maybe one or two up north. And that was it in terms of like a a brewery that can have, that can do distribution, but also have a tasting room and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, before that, really, the tasting room concept was, like if anybody visited a brewery 10 or 15 years ago, you might remember that, you know, it was all about the brewery itself. And then you might have a little tasting room where you do little samples and that type of thing. Yes. The industry has evolved, not just in the state of New Jersey, but nationally, and I would say even internationally, that breweries are now a completely different business model. They are a destination. They are a place that you go to for an experience. experience. And it's very different than a restaurant. You know, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's a, the concept of a third space. Okay. Which means that it's mm-hmm. not your home. It's not your office, but it's a place where you can go to where you can just kind of like your home away from home. In the 80s, it was a mall, <laughs> you know. In the 90s, it might have been a Starbucks or, mm-hmm. um, you know, but breweries have now taken on and, you know, wineries and, and other, you know, uh, distilleries, but really breweries in, in the, you know, they, they've taken on this this really, you know, in breweries, especially in the state of New Jersey, you don't have to worry about service carrying around big plates of food. Mm-hmm. You know, you can take your kids there and not have to worry about, you know, they can kind of, Walk around. Um, You don't have to worry about being, you know, feeling weird about being at your table for more than a half hour after you eat. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's like that type of thing. It's a very different. And also, there's just the vibe thing, the craft. uh, Many of our customers are just really into sampling different beers. They have a lot of questions. There's an education component. Yeah, Um, All of this stuff is really kind of goes into why New Jersey passed this law, because they wanted economic development within the state with small businesses created in New Jersey, you know, Mm -hmm. product made in New Jersey, you know, wineries had been doing it for 10, 15 years. And they Mm -hmm. thought, okay, well, now, you know, this is becoming a trend, a national trend with breweries opening up. Let's get New Jersey into this. The problem with that was restaurants saw breweries Mm -hmm. Now, you know, restaurants have the ability to say, okay, we're going to have breweries, beers on tap. And that's, you know, we, we are their customers. Mm -hmm. Breweries are competitors, not necessarily just suppliers for their tax. So the restaurant lobby in in, an industry in New Jersey is a very, very strong one. And this Mm -hmm. goes back to, you know, Jersey city, (laughs) City.
0: (laughs) North Jersey. Yeah.
1: the restaurants, think of your old school restaurants. They have a lot of clout and trend, you know, and very long-term relations. So when they saw this coming along, they were like, well, we don't, you know, we have to pay. And the other thing is that the licensing system in New Jersey is pretty much broken. So if, you, if you're familiar with, there are some places in South Jersey, but especially North Jersey, where you have to pay two plus million dollars. Just to have a, the like a ability to yeah. serve out, yeah. you know, yeah. and that is that's incredible. Most prohibition yeah. laws mm-hmm. that, that that limited the number of licenses available in municipalities, and you could bid up those licenses. So, for example, if you're let's say if you have twenty thousand people in your municipality, five thousand person people a license, you have four licenses, and that mm-hmm. license is up for open. Breweries, the way that it was structured, we don't have licenses like that. Like you can buy and sell your license for an asset for millions of dollars in the state of New Jersey. Breweries is more like a permit. We pay an annual fee, mm-hmm. to the, for the ability to brew our product. Make your beer, it. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not necessarily an asset. We're buying all of our equipment. We're doing everything. You know, those are our assets, but the actual license itself is not an asset. I make that point because. A lot of uh, you know bars and restaurants want to say, "Well, it's unfair. Breweries can do you know their competitors, and they don't have to pay for a regular license. We don't have to pay for a regular license, but we're very structured in terms of and limited in what we can do. That's why it's called a limited brewery license. Mm-hmm. We can't serve food in the state of New York. Period. Right. So we food we can serve. Like, you know, they just over the last do like little snacks and like packages, like nuts. Right now, you know, there there are a lot of Stipulations lim- limiting events, um, limiting, you know, requiring a tour. Um, so this is a whole mm-hmm. thing.
0: Even televisions, right? Televisions and sporting events, isn't
1: that? Uh, well, yeah, and all that stuff is kind of a yeah. bob over the last few years. Yeah. Uh, we can do some of that stuff now. But, yes, mm-hmm. when the licenses were first or the, the, the brewery licenses were first established, it was very limited what breweries could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn 't necessarily it became really, really challenging just to you know having this tour requirement when nobody really knew what that was we couldn 't have menus, so people can bring in food, but they can 't look at a menu you know there yeah, are other yeah. there, there are a lot of things that breweries can 't do, and the people who yeah. follow mm-hmm. the industry in New Jersey know that yeah. but you know, we can't serve wine, we can't serve other spirits. We, we basically only serve what we Yeah.
0: So significant
1: challenges across the board. So one of the things that, especially with traveling, I spent a lot of time in the West Coast when I was in corporate, and I wanted to bring in a hybrid business. Something that, because if I left Pricewaterhouse and uh, KPMG and these large companies, I knew that. I couldn't half time it. I wanted to be completely focused on it. But I, at that time, breweries were only open two or three days a week. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily have the capital to do a large production brewery from the start. I didn't have millions of dollars in investors. What I wanted to do was to create a place, and mm-hmm. a vibe, and an establishment where you can have, where you can come in and and experience what we had to offer and had a very good idea what we wanted to do there. But I also, you know, we're in a retail center. A lot of breweries are in warehouse districts or, you know, yeah. out, of, out of the way we're right in a retail center with townhouses behind us and other businesses next to us mm-hmm. and, um, and pay more in terms of our rent and lease. I'm sure other places who are warehouse. Yeah. So I wanted to get, the best utilization and utility and value out of that. And that meant being open seven days a week. And it also meant potentially being open in the AM as well. And in order to do that, and I'm not going to get into the science of it, but coffee and beer, I found myself when I was, you know, when I was visiting different parts of the country and traveling, if I wasn't checking out the local brewery, I was in a coffee house in the morning mm-hmm. checking out there And I liked the vibe of those. So I thought, why not bring those together? Nothing like that in the region, nothing like that in the state of New Jersey. Maybe, you know, that model was starting to pop up in Colorado, Oregon. I think there was one in Austin, Texas, but just a few. Um, Mm -hmm. But I really thought that that would allow us to do a seven day a week business, allow us to do an AMPM business and really bring those worlds together, which are actually, you have a lot of parallels to them. Um, So... I had to present this to the state in the terms of a business plan because nobody had done it before, and basically they were like, "Well, nobody's done this before. We're not sure if you can do this." <laughs> and then, uh, that process took about a year, and a lot of lawyers <laughs> mm-hmm. and a fair amount of, um, I guess, persuading uh, to let the state know that this business is evolving every day, and we can't stay in one single. Um, uh, you know, you can't stop businesses from innovating, okay? Mm-hmm. Businesses are going to innovate. Is the state going to just have this very strict interpretation of what a brewery is or allow businesses to evolve and yeah. do and different things? And, and so they turned around and they said, okay, okay, okay. You convinced us. And that process, I mean, it, it delayed our opening by about six months. mm mm-hmm. I, you know, people thought I was crazy and stubborn for, oh, why don't you just do a brewery? Why do you have, why are you worried about the coffee? You know, it's just- That's
0: your vision, yeah.
1: And plus it makes us innovative, it makes us mm-hmm. different. And I just saw the two worlds going together and it was just, a, so, so yeah, it took some time. And I will say that that's a lesson. That's a lesson for any business owner out there, entrepreneur that don't be afraid to stick your neck out Yep. You have yeah. to put in, you have to know when to cut bait and <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> And have patience, right? But you also need yeah. to know, okay, this is worth fighting for. Yeah. And I'm yeah. going to put the time and the resources into fighting for my vision. And, I'm, you know, I'm glad we did that. Now, what happened a couple of years after that was a series of special rulings, again, kind of propelled and pushed. By the Restaurant Association to further limit what breweries could do in the state of New Jersey, limiting the number of events we could do, limiting, you know, like, like I mentioned, things like tour requirements and having uh, even further, just, just a lot of things that kind of like, well, why? I don't understand why this doesn't make sense. So we were pretty vocal. <laughs> yeah. We stuck our necks out and got very public. I was, you know, in all three, you know, ABCs, you know, CBS, talking to all press, you know, we uh, uh, formed a little group of breweries, what we call the Main Street or independent brewers. You know, I I organized this with a few breweries to get a petition out there against this special ruling saying that it was unfair Mm -hmm. and you can't change the rules in the middle of the game, state of Uh, nature. Can't mm -hmm. do that. We've established a certain business. Like I knew I couldn't serve food That's one thing, but, you know, I can't have somebody playing a guitar uh, or, you know, provide a a, a good experience for my customers. I I don't know why that's the case. Like weird rules about, well, you know, you can have pizza delivered, but they have to pick it up at the outside, not the inside. Or, you know, strange things like that. A lot of stuff back and forth. And, you know, and you would say, well, Why didn't the Brewers Association or the, you know, the formal associations, the guilds in in New Jersey, we have two, and that's a whole other story, but they split. But, and they were trying to, you know, the guilds were, and the association was trying to work directly with the state and tried to play nice. However, I kind of felt like, you know what, you're not defending the industry and you're, this is a step too far. And that was an incredible experience. So long story short, we got, we put together a petition that got 35,000 signatures in a matter of two weeks. Wow. That went to the state and, rep, you know, assemblymen, senators were all contacted. Their, their phones were lit up. People were engaged. They were saying, why are you picking on the breweries? What's this all about? And, you know, sometimes the process works. Mm-hmm. So Good for you. They suspended the ruling. Okay. And by the way, the, the next month, the ABC director who signed the ruling was no longer the ABC director. That may have been. <laughs> yeah, right. But then Phil Murphy was put in office right around that time. And then six months later, they reissue the ruling. It's a softened a little bit. But the interesting thing is, Nick, that this new version of the ruling said very specifically that breweries could not serve. And wasn't in the first version. Right. You were very outspoken. Right. It was in the second version of the ruling. Hmm. So again, we got our lawyers engaged. And again, you know, it's like one of those things where I think you need to understand that whenever you're faced with a challenge and an obstacle, it is... Potentially, you need to understand that sometimes the best thing is the worst thing. Sometimes the worst thing might turn out being the best thing in the long run. And even though we were just, oh my God, it was, it was crazy. When they issued that, I, I went out of my mind. I was like, I couldn't believe that they would pick on us like that. They did do the fair thing. They grandfathered us in. And as of right now, for the last two years, we're the only brewery in the state of New Jersey who can do what we do. And so, you know, we've certainly marketed around that. And then adding the roastery over the last year um has yeah. certainly yeah. reinforced those, you know, to even make the coffee even a a bigger part of the but it was a just a Love it. It was an Love amazing it. process.
0: What a what a battle.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah.
0: I remember you sharing some of the stories with me when I was in a few times and just some of the challenges uh over the COVID, you know, time frame too. And, and, and that leads me to the COVID impacts. And, and uh, how did you navigate from it? If you want to just share some of the, some of the things you needed to do.
1: So here we have, we were, it was um, the end of, of March in 2020. We had just experienced our strongest quarter ever. We were experiencing 35% gross, growth every year. And that quarter was 40% growth. Just so, things were looking good. Yeah. And we were very much involved in it, in it and still are, but at that point, very close to um, executing on a second location in Pennsylvania. And suddenly everything changed. Yeah, And we had to close our tasting room. Uh, suddenly, you know, it was just, just like everybody. It was like, boom. Now, you know, when that happened, you're left, as a business owner, you're left with um, a lot of questions. Get yeah. around and, and, and blame and, and, and uh, focus on the negative, where you can get to work and roll up your sleeves. And what we were able to do. And again, I will say that you know I don't want to get too negative on the state because you know we did have our challenges to the state, and New Jersey is just kind of a, it's a complicated challenge in itself. State. Yeah. generally in every industry. But I will say the state of New Jersey came through for the industry Mm -hmm. last year. They allowed breweries to sell beer online. That wasn't allowed. They uh, they allowed us to do residential delivery, carry out from parking lots. And then, you know, a couple months later, allowed us to open and have temporary permits for outdoor premises. All of that allowed us to make very quick decisions, mm-hmm. you know, upgrade everything on our websites and technology. You know, technology was a big part of it. Really ramp up our canning capability, make very quick decisions on establishing an outdoor area, getting all those permits done. And, you know, we're operating a, almost like a, a beer festival four days every mm-hmm. week last year, mm-hmm. you know, with setup up and breakdown and doing it. You have to do what you have to do. Yeah you know i suddenly was back in the weeds of the business doing just I can imagine that you know yeah. i have a staff of um, 12 here and i didn't have to lay anybody off so we got through it and yeah. we were able to pivot our business pretty quickly and figure it out every yeah. month there was a new challenge yeah. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and but in all of that was huge opportunity and it allowed us and I will give one example and probably the biggest example of last year is, you know, we had we didn't have anybody in the tasting room. So we could focus on a construction project that wasn't limited on just being closed on Monday and Tuesday afternoon and night, because really, as I said, you know, we're one of the only breweries open seven days a week. Mm -hmm. And we're open, you know, all day and all night, you know, five days out of the week. So we have a very small window where we could actually do like a a construction project without disrupting customers Mm -hmm. and, you know, and that type of thing. But because our tasting room was closed, it allowed us to really quickly and efficiently build the roastery and get that done and get all allowed me to focus on what we need to do to get the roastery up and going. And the roastery was up in about four months from the point that things were shut down. And then we, then about six months after the shutdown in March, we actually started selling and producing our own roasted beans, coffee, everything. Mm-hmm. We transitioned yeah. from using, outsourcing our coffee to a great small company out of Mullica Hill, Crescent Moon, who were terrific for us for the first two, three years. But, you know, we wanted, I wanted to have control of my own supply chain. Have you know, be able to take advantage of wholesale margins, things like that, that we could do in producing and, and uh, roasting our own product, just like we do on the beer side. So that was wow. the original vision, but we were, allowed, we were able to get that done. And one of the key numbers that I look at every month is the ratio of beer that we sell to coffee. And that has almost doubled in the last four months. Wow. So wow. It's, without the beer, without the beer sales going down either. right? So, you know, the coffee sales, because of selling our, our own whole bean coffee out of bags, you know, the cold brew out of cans, all of this stuff that allows us to enhance our, the coffee side of the business. And therefore the diversity of our product offerings on both sides of the coffee industry.
0: Excellent. Now, good, good for you. I love the growth. Hey guys, it's Nick. I have a short message from our sponsor, MPC Builders, with well over 40 years of combined construction-related experience. In both the residential and commercial markets, MPC Builders services the New Jersey and Philadelphia metro areas. Check out our website at mpcbuilders.net, or you can call me directly at 856-217-1750, and I'd be happy to answer any questions you have about your construction project. Good stuff. And speaking of which construction, you have a second location, right? Are you looking to open a second location in the future? Currently
1: that's it's in the works. We're looking at awesome. Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was just there last week and that is <laughs> one of the I told you we were grandfathered in in the state of New Jersey for business you yeah. one of the trade-offs that we have with the state is that we won't create a second location that does both in the state or outside the state state in the state so, which means yeah. that yeah. you know yeah. a couple got years it. ago we were looking at washington township Washington township doesn't have a brewery so it was a great location uh, but we had to punt on that because the state would not allow us to do that stipulation got it stipulation to say you can you're grandfathered in in your location in Clarksboro but which again is very why would the state want to limit business growth like that that's a whole nother discussion but unfortunately you know what we're resorted to now we're just you know our location our base location is always going to be right here in East Greenwich but in order to really to grow with our locations which was always on our business plan I didn't necessarily want to be a production level huge volume business we wanted to have multiple locations in order to do that right now we'd have to go outside of the state state okay. got it that's what we're working on i don't know how it, it might be a year or two yes got <laughs> right it a matter of uh you know kind of getting through what the reopening and you know all it, you know, the expansion yeah it's all good.
0: got it and outside of business and work which you're obviously very passionate about what do you like to do that you're passionate about
1: outside of work well, I mean, first and foremost, for any small business owner who has a family, children do everything. I mean, you have to, I try to, they are my priority. And it is a challenge as a small business owner to be able to not spend so much time in the office. And um, I've really been, I think when we first opened the business, I'll be honest, I did what I had to do to open up the business. And I was here eighty to hundred hours a week. Yeah. And one of the things I had to do to correct, to make this a long-term thing is to make sure that I set those boundaries and I had time for myself and time for my family. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now I make sure that I'm home every night for dinner, most nights, that I take the weekends, take the weekends off. You won't see me hanging out here much on a Friday or Saturday night. Much like a good doctor, I don't take my own medicine too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People always ask me, they're like, I expect you to have a beer in your hand. I'm like, it's pretty rare that you're going to see me with the beer in my hand. Mm-hmm. And, and, at a Fox only. and I, you know, I make sure that, but it's just, I found that that's something the, you need to do. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, this is work. It's great yeah. work. It's mm-hmm. fun. There's so many great aspects of it, but you have to be able to draw that line. In terms of other things, you know, I've done really uh, been a passionate runner for a very long time. So, you know, I've done some marathons, did some triathlons, you know, that type of thing. I think with starting the business, it's, I haven't done a marathon since I started the business. <laughs> and, but just, you know, Good running it yeah. because it's so physical. I mean, I, yeah. I will say that you know, I had a desk job for 15, Yeah. Now I am, you know, Moving and grooving, baby. Yeah, you know, yep. large bags of yeah, five pound. So, like in a way, work itself is a workout. Um, yeah. So, but you still have to like. I love you know comp- competitive endurance sports and that uh, I'm a huge music guy. I've been playing guitar now for almost 30 years. So, in a way, that's a way that I'm able to just kind of get out of my own head. I also believe in in. Uh, mindfulness and meditation and, and that's also another not just kind of you know, yeah so challenging again as a small business owner you always have 10 plates that you're spinning and so many things that again preparing yourself for the long term you need to be able to do those things to offset or you're just going to burn yourself out yep that's the last thing you want to do i can so relate the Thing i will say is hiring good people and not being afraid to delegate you know In order to grow, you have to delegate. And it's hard sometimes as a business owner to let go of that control that you have. But by doing that, you do get the blessing of having more time for yourself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's, you don't want to be your own obstacle, you know. As a business owner, you need to be able to see yourself as a resource, you know. So, like, you have your CEO hat. And you have your worker hat and you need to manage yourself with your CEO hat to say, OK, I want that guy doing this, but I want, don't want that guy doing that. That's a challenge. You know, it, it's a challenge to do that, to basically manage yourself, especially in this industry with restaurants and small restaurants and things like that. I think a lot of people are challenged with that and you don't want to be your own obstacle to growth. Got it. Great share. No, great share.
0: Love it, man. I'm going to end and again, I really appreciate you being here, man. I was really excited for this to learn the ins and outs and the details of what you do and how you got there. I love it. Great story. And so I'm going to end with, if someone wants to get into something they're passionate about, you know, whether it's a brewery, whether it's construction, get out of the corporate world, what would your advice be to someone that's thinking about doing something that's not the traditional path and they want to break out and follow their heart, follow their passion?
1: Well, you know, I, I will say this is, you know, I mean, I very much took the traditional college, you know, and then graduate school route. And it's, it's ironic it, it's that I'm kind of reversed now. Like I'm.
0: <laughs> and that's why I love the story.
1: Yes. That type of thing versus like blue collar versus white collar. I'm a reformed white collar guy. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> love it. Uh, you know, especially with hands-on stuff, You know, I'll say this. People go, how awesome it is. You started a brewery. That must be a dream to to do your dream job and that type of thing. And I tell them, it's not a dream, it's a plan. All right, it's a plan, it's not a dream. Meaning that you can sit there and think about, okay, this is great, this is what I'm gonna do. But if you actually don't sit down and make that plan, if you don't put together a business plan, you don't put together financials, you need to do your homework. You know, to understand how you're going to do these things that you think you're going to do. And you're not going to get magical beans like Jack and the Beanstalk and be able to plant them and have this great Mm -hmm. business that's just going to grow without putting together and understanding that most of the stuff you're going to experience. It's going to be problem solving. Been done before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Best practices. Yeah. Have conversations, introduce yourself to other people that are in the business that you're looking to get into, mm-hmm. um, you know, do your homework and volunteer, volunteer your time. I mean, I just said, I went to a, to a local breweries and I said, Hey, you know, you need help on a Saturday, you know, that type of thing, just for a few hours, just to see how they do things at a professional level, you know, versus a hobby level, Yep. Um, so taking, making your hobby and making it your profession, you know, that takes, it's two different levels, right? Like you can't take just what you're doing as your hobby, especially in certain trade. I mean, maybe in some things, but I will say in this side of the business manufacturing, construction, you know, all these things that, that require, you know, that's the reason why if you look back on, you know, the last, you know, what we're doing is not new. You know, you talk about history. Going back to the 1600s, 1700s, things were done through apprenticeship. If you wanted to be a blacksmith, you worked as an apprentice for a blacksmith for a number of years. You know, it's the same thing. You know, you go out and be an apprentice in your spare time. You know, research instead of watching Netflix. You know, yep. spend some time actually looking into, you know, it's what you do with your, uh, with your downtime that yes, allows you to successful in your uptime. Not saying that you but especially as you're, you know, I had to go all in, in terms mm-hmm. of together our business yep. plan while I was still working in corporate. And you were committed. Required, yep. That required a lot of sacrifice, you know, like a lot of times where I I, I couldn't go out on Friday, and Saturday night. I couldn't go out to dinner because I was looking at at, you know, or do the things that but because you know you're You're building something, and that takes time. It's just not going to happen overnight. But I I will emphasize that really learn what you're looking to get into. Understand the difference between being a hobby versus being a business and volunteer. Got it. Thanks for sharing. And if
0: people can get a hold of you, you want to share your website, your social media, how
1: people can contact you? Deathofthefoxbrewing.com. So you can Google Death of B-Fox, not Death of A-Fox. A lot of people call us Death of A-Fox, which, uh, you know, it's one or the other. You, you could probably Google it and it'll do the same thing, but we are Death of the Fox. And then with that, you'll, you'll see all of our, you know, our social media, our Instagram, okay. Facebook, all of that. You know, all of our beer menus are, are right on site. I mean, right on uh, the, the website, all of our merch. Every, pretty much our website is a one-stop shop for everything you need. And it's, uh, you know, we've really, really made our, our business virtual over the last year. So, yeah. like uh, many, right? Yeah. On the website, shoot me. And, and my email address is right on the bottom of the website. Uh, we also have our mailing list. So, if you wanna know what's happening, music, live music, and trivia, and all that fun stuff, beer releases are a big thing. New beer releases, all that stuff. Follow us on Facebook, like us on Facebook and join our mailing list and you'll, you'll see all the latest and greatest we have coming.
0: on. Chuck. Thanks again, man. I really appreciate you for taking the time and I can't wait for this episode to go live. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah, man. I'll, I'll see you soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the constructing greatness podcast. If you enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already subscribe rate and review the show on your favorite podcast player, If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at nicholasofac at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.